0: It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff.
1: Just open up the door and let's good times in. Tomorrow's gonna be better than today.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Brilliant Green here on AM860, The Answer, in WEEU in Pennsylvania and the Golf News Network, and streaming as of next week on almost 30 platforms across the world. So there you go. Uh, I'm JT, your host, and I big question is, how's your game? Well, I won't tell you how mine is, but I would like to thank the folks over here at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature, nature Intended. Uh, Great stuff there. And also the folks at Ben Hogan Golf. Check out Ben Hogan Golf online at BenHoganGolf.com. New club selections and factory direct sales right to you. That's BenHoganGolf.com. We're going to be talking to somebody today that was there from the beginning. And I'm going to kind of preface it that way. Keith Hirschland worked for the Golf Channel for a long time as a producer a tournament producer, among other things. That was his biggest uh, gig, I think. And he's also a game show winner. We're going to talk to him about that a little <laughs> later,
2: later in the, in the program. Keith, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and uh, <laughs> uh, happy to talk to you.
0: Uh, I hope you say that at the end of the show too. <laughs> you, you're, you're, you self-described TV brat uh, growing up in the Reno area. Your dad Uh, mom and dad were both involved in uh, independent television there. And then, you know, network TV and so on and so forth. Did you always think that this is something you had to do or were you just so used to it and you liked it so much you went off and, and
2: made a career out of it? Um, You know, looking back, uh, you know, I think I probably was uh, fortunate enough to be around it since I was, you know, since I can remember. Sure. You know, my like you said, my mom and dad, you know, I was my my dad worked in, in radio and in, uh, in Honolulu, Hawaii, after he got out of the Navy. And um, I was born there as well as my older brother. And um, he was, you know, kind of moving up the, the ladder that the folks that owned the radio station in Honolulu at which he worked also owned uh, several other broadcast properties around the country. Sure, And one of them was a TV station in Reno. And, um, you know, that the owner caught my, he, you know, my dad caught his eye. And so at one point he asked my dad if he'd like to move to Reno, Nevada and become a general manager of the TV station, the CBS affiliate TV station in Reno. That's when I was two years old. So we picked up stakes from Honolulu and moved to Reno um, when I was two. So, you know, that's all I knew was my dad. And, and then eventually my mom, once they started uh, the third TV station in Reno was, you know, going into the TV station. Mm-hmm. Me, I, you know, I didn't I didn't immediately think of, you know, a career in broadcasting like every other you know, able-bodied, all-American boy. (laughs) I wanted to be a professional athlete and, you know, thought first it might be baseball and then it might be golf. And and I was not good enough at either of those things or not disciplined enough to work hard enough to become good enough at either one of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I did play a little college golf um, at uh, both Lewis and Clark College and at the University of Nevada, Reno, but quickly found out that I wasn't, You know, in the league of the folks, you know, I was a pretty good player in northern Nevada, but I got up against some folks that, you know, played golf for, you know, that were really, really (laughs) good um, and said, well, I'm not going to make it at this. So I I, uh, then looked at a a way to still be involved in sports, um, but, you know, not not from the athlete end, but from a broadcasting end. And I was lucky enough to get some, get some breaks and get some opportunities. And, uh, you know, I like to think I made the most of those and, and it turned into an almost 40 year career in in broadcast television. So, so I'm
0: going to, I'm going to pose a question to you, Keith, and, and it may get a little long winded, but I'll try not to, <laughs> you, you know, the, the, I've been doing this stuff a long time, like you have, and both in radio and TV and, A lot of kids coming out of broadcast school and stuff. Some of them got great talent. Some of them are like everything you get top of the line, you get middle, you know, you get some that probably should go look at another profession. But one thing that I've noticed over the years, and this is the old crusty radio guy in me (laughs) that says, you got to learn how, how things work. You got to learn how the industry works and you got to learn how Uh, Well, it's just like golf, you know, you can, you can be the greatest thing coming in off the amateur circuit, but if you don't know how to quote unquote play the game, which is the way I like to say it, you, you, you've got a big learning curve ahead of you. And so I just kind of wanted to get your take on that because, um, I've got lots of friends whose kids went to broadcast school and journalism school and stuff, and they come out and, and they're writing for the weekly shopper for free, you know, (laughs) type thing.
2: I think your assessment is a hundred percent spot on. Um, you know, I, I feel really, really fortunate to have uh, grown up in the industry when I did because of what you said, you know, when I was, was first starting out, we, um, you know, we, we shot, we shot our own stories. Mm -hmm. We came in, we wrote our own copy. We, you know, actually, and when I, this is going to tell you how old I am. When I first started, we were shooting on Super 8 film. Everything was Super 8 film. We, we would, uh, you know, I tell the story in the book, uh, Cover Me Boys, I'm Going In, that uh, at my dad's station, at the station at which I worked, you know, we'd come in, we'd shoot, everybody would shoot their stories on these Super 8 cameras. And then at three o'clock in the afternoon, the general sales manager had to vacate his office because his office was also the dark room.
1: Mm, yep. <laughs> so
2: Jackson Fleming would have to leave his office so that, you know, that all of us intrepid reporters could come <laughs> in and develop our film and splice it. And later on, when we got into videotape, you know, you learned how to edit, you edited your own stories. And like I said, I did all my own writing and, you know, you learned, um, every bit of the craft, um, you know, and, and then eventually I, you know, I worked on air as well. Um, all of that experience that I was fortunate enough to get by actually doing every bit of the job um, became invaluable. And I used to, when I spoke to, you know, I still go and speak to the, the journalism students at the University of Nevada and other places around the country. And, you know, I tell them that, you know, there are a million opportunities right now. There are, You know, this is a 500 television channel universe sure and there is a chance that you will come out of school and get a job at a network i said but my advice would be to go work at a local station go go learn from the ground up and learn how to do all of those things that you're going to be involved in doing because it'll make you a better overall Mm -hmm. broadcaster and you'll also find out that, Hey, maybe I don't want to be on air. Maybe what I really like is the behind the scenes stuff, the producing or the directing sure. thing or the writing or, you know, so I, I agree with you a hundred percent that, you know, um, there are a lot of kids that have a lot of innate talent and might be able to come out of the gate, you know, and, and get a gig at a major market television station or even a network of some sort. But, you know, again, that's a great opportunity, and it'll always be there if you're good, yeah, um, so go learn, go learn the craft from the ground up. well, one thing they're lucky
0: about and and i didn't I didn't have this experience, but I saw it happen a couple of times you're you're pressed, there's something there's a story that they picked up late in the afternoon and they're trying to get it on the five or the six o'clock, and the guys in there, you got this big real spool of <laughs> film. <filled. laughs> <clears throat> and it falls on the floor and rolls and all the film comes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you never had that happen, but. Oh, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you really learn the craft and especially the language of behind the scenes television. That's what I can say
2: right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you also learn that you, you know, you're, you're able to make mistakes. Uh, you know, and not 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 egregious ones because mm-hmm. that would normally get you fired, but certainly small ones, like you say, with, you know, having a great story and all of a sudden you're you know, that that the videotape, you put the videotape in the machine and it eats it and yeah. all of a sudden all your video is gone or, you know, the film reel spools out onto the floor. I even once once upon a time spliced a, you know, put my story in the in the in the splicer and. Uh, as part of the other, you know, stories that the sports anchor was going to read that night. And what I put in came out upside down, uh, <laughs> Just you know, but you just, you know, you learn from that, you learn, you know, and I learned that, you know, you learn from making those mistakes. And, and if you don't, you know, get the chance to do that, I think you're, you know, you kind of miss out on the overall experience of what makes, what would make you, your the best that you can be there you go we're talking with keith hirschland
0: he's got uh one of his books he's got several books but this cover me boys i'm going in the tales of the tube from a broadcast brat and uh, keith and i'll be back right after these messages please stay with us hi everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green grilling at the green is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm your host, JT. Um, I'd like to thank the folks over there at Gunter Wilhelm Knives for unmatched quality, comfort, and efficiency in your kitchen. I'm a big, Keith, if you didn't know this, I cook on TV. Um, You can find them online at GunterWilhelms.com and also our friends down at Langdon Farms here south of Portland in Oregon. Great course and lovely dinners on Friday night, prime rib and all that. It's really good. So check those out at LandonFarms.com. We're talking with Keith Hirschland today. Um, Golf Channel, you know, first tier guy walking in the door when they started. How did all that? I know I read it in the book, but I'd like you to kind of (laughs) give an overview to the audience about how you really did that. And was it nerve wracking for you to kind of take that leap of you had to kind of take a leap of faith?
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, it was it was one of those things where every single not I won't say every single person, but ninety nine percent of the people that uh, were in my orbit or that were influential in terms of, you know, uh, my career uh, told me that you know it would it taking and taking this job with a with a startup cable niche network would probably be the dumbest thing that I could <laughs> ever do um, you know but i was um yeah I, I had my 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 story is a is a is a pretty long one, <laughs> which is I think anybody that's been in a business for you know for more than for almost four decades will say the same thing but, sure you know i'd gone I'd gone back and forth across the country chasing jobs and And, you know, trying to get, you know, kind of move up the ladder in my career for, for, you know, about 15 years or so and ended up at, uh, you know, through a, through a number of, through a number of ways, ended up actually in Bristol, Connecticut at ESPN, working um, on this new startup network there, ESPN2. Mm -hmm. I had gotten to Bristol in, uh, January of 1994, ESPN2 got on the air, uh, the, the prior fall of 1993. Um, but before that I was working for ESPN's golf production team for about five years, but they were, um, unwilling to, to give me, a, you know, kind of a salary boost to make it possible for me to stay in Los Angeles with a, a, a burgeoning new family. We sure. had two kids, and you know, so the folks at ESPN Golf kind of said, you know, we can't we can't pay you what you need, mm-hmm. and so basically, I said, well, then I guess I'm going to have to quit, and a uh, really influential guy named Howard Katz, who was with Allmire Communications, where I worked, and then later with ESPN. And then after that, he's now with the NFL Network and with the NFL. And, you know, he told me, well, if you're willing to move from Los Angeles to Bristol, Connecticut, we could really use your help uh, as a producer um, on this new network, ESPN2. So, you know, I I did it. I was, you know, it was sure. like, I, I was kind of <clears throat> not really excited about leaving the world of golf production because I loved it. And that's, you know, I mean, I loved my job producing golf for ESPN and, and uh, being the an associate producer, replay producer for golf at ESPN and didn't want to leave it. But this was an opportunity that I really couldn't pass up. So I, I picked up the family, moved to, moved to Connecticut and started working on ESPN two, And there met, you know, amazing, wonderful people like. Norby Williamson and Mark Gross and on-air talent like Stuart Scott and Susie Colber and Kenny Maine and Bill mm-hmm. Pito. and was you know able to work alongside those folks and um, and, you know had a had a had a great time and in that as that year progressed and I know I'm a little long-winded but no, I'm going okay. to answer your question but as that year progressed we started hearing up and you know up around the halls of ESPN we started hearing these rumors about this new golf channel that was going to come on the air and, you know, how some businessman in Birmingham, Alabama was going to start a 24 hour a day, seven day a week, 365 day a year channel devoted exclusively to golf. And, you know, I was, there were a number of people, my colleagues at ESPN and some folks around that, that campus, that were getting phone calls and getting job offers to come down to go down to Orlando, Florida, and be a part of this Golf Channel. And quite frankly, you know, my phone wasn't ringing, and I was thinking, "What the heck?" I, you know, yeah. I spent five years and you know helping to produce golf live tournament golf for ESPN, and you know these other folks that I knew who were talented and in their own right, but you know they were getting their phone was ringing and mine wasn't, so. Um, you know, I was, I was a little, a little perturbed about that, but then eventually, you know, about September of 1994, my phone did ring and it was a gentleman named Mike Whalen, who was the executive producer of golf channel. And, you know, he basically, um, wanted to fly me down for an interview because they were looking to hire, um, a live tournament producer. So, you know, I was, I was Flattered and excited, and um, you know, was even though I enjoyed my time at ESPN too, I was itching to get back into the golf golf world and you know golf atmosphere and and producing live golf, whether it was for ESPN or CBS or a new startup network, was you know really what you know I felt like was the job that I really wanted to do and was my dream job. So I agreed to go down for an interview and. Now, as I look back and I've talked to Mike on a number of occasions and, you know, we laugh about it now, but I think he offered the job before he called me. I think he offered the job to anybody who had ever produced one minute of live golf on television <laughs> uh, before he got to me. So maybe that's why it took so long for my phone to ring because everybody else turned him down because they weren't willing, like you said, they weren't willing to take the risk of going down and, and being part of a a startup network that everybody in the industry was convinced was going to last about three months and then run out of money and fail and be done. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a huge decision. It was a huge personal decision. It was a huge professional decision. You know, I enjoyed ESPN. I think ESPN, you know, I probably could have worked there for as long as, as I, you know, I kept continuing to do good work and, but this to me was, you know, the chance to get back into golf. I had, you know, blind faith in the folks that were starting the golf channel. And, you know, as I look back on it uh, after, you know, now they've been on the air for, you know, almost 30 years. Right. um, It was a pretty good decision. (laughs) There you go. Um, We're talking with Keith
0: Herschelin, author of cover me boys. I'm going in about his life in television we're going to get to the game show winner part coming up here in one of the next couple segments but right now we're going to take a break and keith and i'll be back right after this hey it's jt and this part of grilling at the green is brought to you in part by ben hogan golf check them out online at benhogangolf.com Hey, welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. We're talking with Keith Herschelin today. Keith's coming to us from Colorado. He's in the Springs there, man. What a beautiful place that is. And Keith is the author of a, a book. Um, Cover me, boys. I'm going in. The tales of the tube from a broadcast brat. Keith's got some wonderful stories in this book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. You can order it through his website. I think KeithHershland.com. We'll tell tell you more about that later on in the show. But, uh, okay, so let's do the game show thing real quick. I teased <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it a couple times, so you were hanging out in l a and you were kind of between gigs, and all of a sudden you started showing up uh to be on Jeopardy and different things like that. <laughs> first of all, it takes a i gotta tell you it, it especially in those days, it took a lot of guts to just to walk in and and you know, audition as it were to get on get on a game show. Now, every I figure by the year uh, twenty thirty, everybody in America will have been on at least one episode <laughs> of a reality show. So, anyway, go ahead, tell us your story
2: on that. Yeah, it's it's funny because you know you're right. And at the time, I had no idea. I I just uprooted my family. Um, actually, we hadn't had kids yet, but my wife to be. Um, and I was working at a local TV station in, in New Haven, Connecticut, because I wanted to get a job at ESPN. And this was before I actually did get a job at ESPN. But, um, so I talked to the folks at ESPN. They said, well, we, you know, we'd like to hire you, but we, you know, we really aren't going to take a chance on a, on a director. At the time I was, I was directing newscasts and sportscasts in Reno and, You know, they said, but if you get out here closer to us, we can, you know, have a better look at your work and, you know, get to know you a little bit better. There was a job opening at WTNH in New Haven, Connecticut. I applied for that job and got it, spent some time there, again, directing local newscasts and really was um, getting disillusioned with that and wanted to get back into the sports space. So my parents had sold the TV station in Reno and retired on Maui and were volunteering for all the ESPN golf telecasts that were done on the island. So my, you know, my dad actually you know would would drive the cart for one of the handheld camera operators and my mom would work in the booth with Jim Kelly uh, as his scorekeeper, mm-hmm. and so they got to know the folks that were doing ESPN Golf from Olmeyer Communications, and and so I, you know, had a long talk with my dad one night and said, you know, I really am not really enjoying my job here and, and doing local news. I really want to get back into sports. You know, what do you think? And he said, Well, I know those guys from you know ESPN Golf. I'll make a couple of phone calls and see what I can come up with. And he had talked to the guy that was the producer of those telecasts. And he told him, he told my dad, you know, sure, you know, have to keep, you know, give me a call and, you know, come out to LA and, and we'll, you know, we'll set him up. So I was like, okay, great. So, you know, again, and, you know, on a wing and a prayer, I quit my job in Connecticut and, you know, loaded up the car and drove out to Los <laughs> Angeles and, and, you know, tried to call this producer at Meyer Communications about a hundred thousand times but he wouldn't take my calls. So I was, stuck in LA, um, kind of like you said, in between jobs. And I saw an ad in the, in the LA times for game show contestants. And I thought, well, and it was for a game show called classic concentration. And I thought, well, I watched it on TV. I know that game show. I kind of like it. I, how hard can it be? You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a, an able-bodied, you know, pretty healthy guy with, you know, my, my full set of teeth and uh, you know and I'm like oh well, how hard can it be to go in and get on a game show so I went down to the place where you applied to get on the game show and found out exactly how hard it was at the time to get on a game show they put you through the ringer you had to sit there and and do like screen tests mm-hmm. over and over and over again to make sure a you could understand the game and play it and be that you know you could you know, smile at the right time and and say all the right things and do all that kind of stuff. And and I had no idea that this process would take. It took about a month um, of going into these screen tests and then, you know, getting phone calls and then finally coming in and, and getting on the game show. And it's 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 an old game show. And, and, you know, I was, again, just by happenstance and luck, the host was Alex Trebek. So I got to spend a little bit of time with Alex Trebek uh, before he went and became famous on Jeopardy! He hosted this game show called Classic Concentration. And I, uh, you know, I happened to do pretty well at it and was like a five time champion or something and won about $40,000 worth of prizes and a car. And uh, <laughs> all because Paul Spengler, the producer at, at Holmeyer Communications who did ESPN Golf, wouldn't pick up the phone and <laughs> talk to me. So.
0: <laughs> Didn't. Uh... <clears throat> When you were talking to Alex the first time, you, you they asked you what you did, and you gave him a description, and didn't he turn around and say, that means he doesn't have a job?
2: Exactly right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. He was right. He was right. Oh, that's a that's a great story. I still, I'll, I'll reiterate that again, though, Keith. I think that the way we're going in television these days, by 2030, pretty much everybody in America will have a have had a shot at a reality show. That's just, you know, those non-scripted worthless yep. things that are out there. Um, but I'm old school. So, you know, what, what do I know? Any deal? So,
2: well, I think you're probably right.
0: <laughs> I hope I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. <laughs> yeah. You know, so let's switch back to golf here. Now, jump forward. You're at the golf channel. You're covering events. Um, you're, you're traveling. It's, you, Cause you are you are traveling because they cover a lot of events and that what was your biggest challenge? Was it kind of keeping everybody on the team going in the same direction or was it, uh, trying to get the right shots, you know, uh, cause you gotta go, you gotta call up your playback. Cause somebody, if you're shooting on 18 and somebody on 16 holes out from 120 yards, you want to show that. And they do that all the time, but yeah. Tell us your challenges in that.
2: Um, You know, it was uh, thankfully and, you know, luckily we had a great we had a great team, um, you know, and some of those guys that that I was fortunate enough to work with. uh, And many of them, as a matter of fact, are still are still doing it. Um, They're still out there from the camera operators and and like you said, the videotape operators to a number of announcers who, you know, we brought up and and gave gave them their first shot with a microphone at Golf Channel, you know, are still are still either working for Golf Channel or have moved on to network gigs, or which is, you know, a kind of a testament, I think, to what a great team that we had. So getting everybody moving in the right direction was never a problem because everybody that was there, uh, especially in the beginning, was in the same boat in that they had given up jobs or careers or really good opportunities at other places to take a flyer on this golf channel. And so we knew that, you know, if this thing was going to work, it was going to work because everybody was in the boat paddling in the same direction. So, so that was really, you know, kind of cool. The challenge of producing golf on television is, I mean, it's the, and I say this not because I did it, but because it's true, it's the hardest sport by far to produce for television. Um, Because, like you said, there are, you know, at at any given time at a a full field event, there are when, you know, there are 75 players on the golf course at the same time, 18 Mm -hmm. fields of play, um, you know, no TV timeouts, you know, no, it's, you know, there's in most sports that I call stick and ball sports, there's, you know, one ball, you know, one field, one offense, one defense In golf. There's like I said, at any given time when half the fields on the golf course there are 75, 75 guys, 75 balls, 18 holes, 18 fields of play. And, you know, everybody's playing offense and there, there are no built in TV timeouts. So the producer has to decide what shot to show at what time, what shot to show live, what, to, what shots to record, um, you know, when to go to commercial break because you want to get back and show, you know, as many shots as you can, uh, in, you know, so you kind of pick your spots as to when to go to break. It's just, it's really, um, it takes a huge team. It takes a really good team. And, um, you know, it, it takes somebody that can, that can look at uh, a monitor wall with 75 screens on it and be able to discern what's important and what isn't important and to hear three or four different things in your ear at the same time and pick out what you know somebody is trying to tell you at a time and um it's it's just it's i love people that say golf is boring watching tv is boring because inside the tv truck it's you know it's anything but but yeah uh
0: we're going to take a break keith hershlin and i will be back in just a minute here on grilling at the green hi everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT. We're talking with Keith Hirschland today. Uh, Keith was a producer for the Golf Channel really since its inception. He's got all kinds of great stories we can't get them all in in this show but if you want to get his book cover me boys i'm going in tales of the tube from a broadcast brat there's lots of back what do i want to say background behind the scenes things there that probably most of you don't know um just for an example and you know you don't cover this in ad infinitum in the book but i can tell you from personal experience the Golf Channel crews would show up a week or so before the tournament and lay cables and things, and they're really good at it, you know, because they have to be there for the practice rounds and so on and so on and so on. The work that goes into laying out the production of that is incredible. Uh, if you've never seen it, if you get a chance, watch them come in and set up someday. It's it's quite intriguing um, to be commended. So what we were talking about off the air, Keith, uh, and then came Tiger Woods and the golf world changed. Uh, how did your world change when Tiger stepped up to the tee in 96 as a pro?
2: Yeah, it was amazing. And, and you know, I don't know if it was, it was a, you know, a, a premonition on Joe Gibbs, who started the Golf Channel's part, to, to start it in 1995, knowing that Tiger was, the, you know, the Tiger Woods phenomenon was right around the corner or if it was just dumb luck but there would never be, you know, the golf channel would, and people said the golf channel wasn't going to, you know, those people that said the golf channel wasn't going to last more than three months or so were probably right. Had it not been for Tiger Woods, um, he became must see television in 1996. Uh, as far as the golf world was concerned and and lucky enough, and lucky enough for those of us at the golf channel, you know, we were there when it happened and, Um, You know, our world changed because, especially in 1996, my world as as a live producer, because Tiger played in, you know, we had a handful of PGA Tour events that we produced. Um, Uh Events like the Texas Open, the BC Open, the Quad Cities Classic, which is now the John Deere Classic, uh, and the Disney Tournament. And in 1996, Tiger played in all of those. Uh, He almost won. Quad Cities on our air, lost to Ed Fiore because Tiger made an eight on the, I think it was the sixth or seventh hole in the final round. Almost won the BC Open the next week, played pretty well in Texas, went to Vegas. My, my mentor, Andy Young, produced ESPN's coverage of that tournament, which he won beating Davis Love. And then two weeks later in Orlando, Tiger won the Disney tournament that I was fortunate enough to produce um, and then we never saw Tiger again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he stopped playing in those tournaments. But the folks that did see Tiger almost on a daily basis were our studio folks at the Golf Channel, the Golf Central folks, Scott Van Peltz of the world, um, the Brian Hammonds of the world, mm-hmm. the Craig Cans of the world. They got to spend a lot of time with Tiger Woods. And, um, you know, if it weren't for Tiger and he came in and did all the instructional shows, if it weren't for Tiger, I firmly believe that. I would have been looking for a job probably in 1997 or
0: 1998. I I uh, I'm glad that didn't happen for you, and but but <laughs> I but I do agree with you because it was such a phenomenon. And and look, um, folks have heard me say this on the show before. I'm a Tiger fan. Okay, I me have too. I have been I've always rooted for him. Uh, you know, in in uh, 19, when he came back and won the Masters, I mean, that's a phenomenal thing. And of course, then, you know, 10 days ago, we had Phil um, winning again back there at Kiowa. So, uh, you know, you the big boys are still the big boys as far as I'm concerned. I'll just put it that yep. way.
2: I'm still rooting for and and quickly, I know we're in a short segment, but Tiger, um, I'm I'm a huge fan as well, just not because of the way he plays the game. But honestly, in 1996, when we were when he was coming out and we were there, he could not have been more accommodating or nicer. Yeah, you know, and I know that he had got a reputation over the years for being a little bit surly with the press and a little bit guarded. But you know, my dealings with Tiger Woods from the from the get go we're always a hundred percent. I was just, he was, he, he would agree to do an interview. He'd tell us he'd be there at three o'clock and he would be there at three o'clock and stay around for as long as we needed him. Uh, he was never anything but great to us. Um, name of the book.
0: <laughs> huh, Cover me boys. I'm going in by Keith Hirschland. You can find it at keithhirschland.com. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, I'm sure there's other places you can find it. And Keith is going to stick around for the after hours. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's where we're really going to get into the nitty gritty because it doesn't go out on the air. <laughs> it goes out on the, <laughs> on the internet. So Keith, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate you. And thank you for the book, by the way, and signing it too. Oh,
2: it's my pleasure. I've enjoyed it. And uh, hope, hopefully maybe we'll get to, we'll get to, Get back together again and tell some more stories.
0: Oh, we will. You can be sure of it. We'll be back next week. I think Tom Coyne is going to be with us. He's got a new book, too, called The Course Called America. And that's it. We'll be back. Take care, everybody. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.